My name is Christopher Peter and welcome to the Christopher Peter Review, where you will experience original podcasts discussing salient current events with a focus on the facts, evidence, and available data of the topics and issues selected. One of the most iconic speeches in American history was delivered by President John F. Kennedy. In this speech, President Kennedy challenged Americans to not ask what America can do for them individually, but what each American can do for America. A great call for service to one's nation and society that some in our current society may feel is out of touch. There are many people who want to make the case that there are two Americas and maybe they are actually right. There is one class of Americans who want society to do everything for them, provide them everything. From crib to coffin, afford them the best of everything with their best effort, and feel justified to accept what they never earned. And there is the other class who bears the burden of paying for those luxuries the other class attains who sees half of their earnings taken away before they ever see those funds. There is a place for compassion in any society, especially a nation blessed with an economy as fruitful as America. But there is also room to expect every able-bodied individual to earn their living and contribute to their own economic outcomes and society as a whole. In a nation with an economy so dynamic and built on the premise of economic freedom, people have the ability to write their own economic path in life. There are so many opportunities available that it is quite confounding when people say they are trapped. Even in a nation blessed with a dynamic opportunity-filled economy, there is challenges and adversity. That is reality that no one can deny. But we also must demonstrate the fortitude and perseverance to find the elusive questions that will determine whether we experience failure or success. There is always a choice that we can make to uplift ourselves from our situation. A change we can make to elevate ourselves or improve access to greater wealth than our current situations. It is when we stop seeking answers stop asking questions where we run afoul. People do need help that is why President Kennedy asked us to see what we could do for our nation. People will need help from time to time. The issue is when people feel like that someone else will inherit the responsibility and accountability for making the change of direction a reality. Personally, I try to help people where possible but I try to retain boundaries where I am not becoming the sole actor to change their situation. I do not want to give a person a fish but help that person learn to fish. For instance, someone recently asked me to assist them with career advice. I began by asking them what they want to do. They did not know. Okay. I asked them what interests them. Again, they were not quite sure. So, I asked them what are they good at and passionate about. Still vague and clear that it was not something they gave much thought about. So I paused and told them they need to reflect about what they want to do before they can really decide on advancing their career. I then asked them if they considered discussing with their current employer about opportunities to move up or advance but they said it is not something that they currently have the courage to do that. I worked with this individual to build a list of what they recently accomplished or recall moments where they were complimented for their effort. But I mentioned that it will be hard to convince somebody that you deserve more if you do not even know what that more is and have not thought about it. I know deep down the person wanted me to tell them to pursue this field or apply for this job. But I am not accepting that responsibility for making decisions that will decide happiness based on factors I have not control of or clear knowledge of what those factors are. I know it is easier to ask someone for direction so that you can place blame on that person when happiness is still elusive. When we ask for help, we must be a contributing factor in our success and positive change. Otherwise, it will not work. In our society, we spend a great deal of time separating people from the responsibility of their own choices. We are not supposed to say the reason someone is in the situation they are in is because of the choices they made. The actions they have taken. Attitudes they show. To be fair, there are some things that are outside of the person's control. We cannot control natural disasters, economic depressions, or global pandemics. We cannot control biases held by people in the power chain of our organizations. 
but we do control whether we stay with that organization, choose to collect evidence and hold those who hold hate in their heart accountable, or decide to fight through adversity. The factors we control are generally more impactful than the environmental factors some hide behind. As I mentioned in a past episode, an investor podcast mentioned the concept of taking full responsibility for what happens in our lives, whether we had control or not. And that is a reasonable approach to life. A reasonable step towards getting back to a society where people feel empowered to be the source of their success rather than looking externally. Ask not what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country. Important words from John F. Kennedy. A vital reminder that we should stop asking what we can take from society. What can we do for our country? First, I think it is important that we commit to be part of the solution not the problem. So, commit to not be a dependent on society or others. Commit to earn your keep, stay free from crime, and avoid creating harm. That is a basic step all can make. Beyond that, what we can do to help our society. Help can mean so many different things. Entrepreneurs who start and operate businesses contribute a great deal to society by providing needed goods and services, employing people that provides wealth to contribute to the economy, and they pay taxes to fund government services and projects. People who serve in the military, work in academia, provide public services, or other areas where you trade your time, effort, or resources can be a plus for society. Investors help society by providing needed capital for public and private endeavors. Look around your community and see how you can fill in the gaps. Does not mean you have to do it for free. Identify a need, find a solution, and accept payment in exchange for providing the solution. The American way. Let us bring Jennifer and Javier into our discussion. Now, we are past the first official campaign event of the 2024 presidential cycle. There have been many speeches, events, and fundraisers. But the first real opportunity for many of the candidates to make a real impression came during the first Republican primary debate in Milwaukee, where eight of the nine top contenders appeared on stage. The top contender awaited arraignment and will skip the next debate as well. I am not interested in rehashing the debate. If you LBJNC wonder what my thoughts were you could experience my special featuring my preview of the debate and my initial reaction the day after. I am more focused on discussing the issues and topics raised and what we feel is the proper policy approach to address the specific issue. Now, Jennifer I turn to you to first provide our viewers and listeners with a reasonable and rationale perspective on each of the critical issues as prescribed by the last Republican debate. The economy, Ukraine, abortion, education, national debt, crime, climate change, a whole lot of Trump, and a little about immigration. That about summarizes the topics covered during the first Republican primary debate. The topic of abortion is always a staple of the dialogue surrounding presidential candidates on both sides of the aisle. Democrats always crow about expanding abortion access. Republicans discuss protecting the life of the innocent. The topic is more front and center after Republicans finally saw the Roe vs. Wade decision overturned in the greatest pro-life achievement in our modern era. Unfortunately, the price was paid at the ballot box during a very consequential midterm election and referendums that followed. Former South Carolina Governor and United States Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley gave a strong response to the issue of abortion, focusing on balancing the expected pro-life stance that is non-negotiable with Republican voters with the reality that a full abortion ban and criminalizes the controversial practices is extremely difficult in the current political environment. As the lone woman in the Republican field, she is expected to be strong on this issue. But I do not abide by those who believe that this is solely a woman's issue or topic. That is a nonsensical position by petulant thinkers. This is a moral issue. A medical issue. An issue that demonstrates the soul of our society. 
A nation that stands up protecting the right to life of so many throughout the world must stand up and protect the right to life of innocent babies, whether one wants to acknowledge it or not. Now, one must also protect the right for a woman to protect her own right to life when there is a real medical threat related to her pregnancy. But we cannot terminate life or the potential of life simply because of personal irresponsibility. As a society, we cannot value the plight of the honeybee, trees, or near-extinct animals more than human life. I believe that we must afford these couples, these women, more pro-life options life adoption and afford them the opportunity to make life better for others while protecting their own lifestyle. Create hope for others rather than a culture of death. Speaking of a culture of death, an important issue facing our leaders is whether America continues to fund a proxy war that may eventually lead to the realization of World War III. Americans see the reports of our federal government providing support for Ukraine to the point that we have depleted our own stock of ammunitions and supplies. Some quip that Europeans provide more aid per capita than America does right now. One can reasonably argue that they have more to lose if Russia decides to move past Ukraine than America. The whole focus since the end of World War II was to ensure another world war would not happen ever again. Even in the face of nuclear tension there were mechanisms to prevent this from happening. Yet, we are at this point because of weak leadership and poor foreign policy, where Americans are funding a war that should never have started. I agree with the sentiment that it is better for Americans to assist Ukrainians in their fight to ensure that Americans do not have to clean up their mess. Ensure that the threat is stopped in Ukraine before it reaches a NATO member, creating the invitation for another global conflict. The Russia-Ukraine conflict is blamed for a great deal of the economic challenges the world is facing. But a great deal of the economic issues America is facing are a direct result of our economic policies. The main economic foe is inflation right now, which continues to grow at a slowing rate. Now inflation is always present to some degree even in normal economic times. Simply reducing inflation to traditional levels does not mitigate the impact of inflation. Consumers need some level of deflation created through lowering the cost of production and delivery of goods and services in a manner that is not deficit-creating or debt-increasing. The economy is in bad shape. The whole marketing campaign of Bidenomics is really a blatant misinformation campaign. The American economy is not doing well. The job growth that the Biden administration is so ready to take credit is not real job creation. When a job is paused and then resumes after there is a change in leadership, that is not a job created because the job already existed. It is not a new job. If you go on leave and return to work, you are not a new employee. This is political optics and purposeful misinformation in the manner Democrats are typically find unacceptable. In response, American voters need to hear an economic message rooted in truth, facts and optimism. The truth is that America cannot continue down the path of bedonomics. It is creating record homelessness across America not exclusive to our large cities anymore. We need an economic vision that does not take money away from the people earning it. We need an economy that increases individual wealth, creates real job gains, and expands personal opportunity. I think Republicans need to talk about the opportunity zones created under the Trump administration that help fuel entrepreneurship and economic opportunity, especially amongst minorities who are typically the most economically restricted. Our economic vision needs to reduce dependence on nations that hold adversarial views of America and focus on creating opportunities inside our borders and with our long-term allies. A major focus on the macroeconomic level should be to counter the brick and road initiative with global economic initiatives that expand opportunities for American producers. 
that is something not talked about enough in our political discourse. From a domestic economic perspective, we need to reform our regulatory infrastructure to only include regulations that actually protect the interests of consumers and eliminate ones that are overly harmful, redundant, and pointless. Also, our economic policy should not focus on empowering the federal government to choose the goods and services available to the public. Rather we should empower the people to make the economic choices that are in their best interests. The trickle-down effect in our economy is a real phenomenon, which we saw firsthand. If public policy increases costs, those cost increases trickle down throughout the economy, robbing consumers and American workers of their hard-earned income. If you improve take-home pay and reduce the cost of living, those savings trickle throughout the economy, affording people the ability to reduce their dependence on credit and save for a rainy day. While economic illiterate politicians love to attack the idea of trickle-down economics, it exists and works both good and bad. For Republicans, they need to focus on offering ideas that start to lower production's costs for producers that can be passed on to consumers and used to protect wages of workers. They need to focus on restoring the household financial picture. Focus on increasing opportunity and entrepreneurship and bringing workers back into the economy. The practice of cheering statistics that purposefully ignores groups of Americans whose access to benefits expired is not the path forward. The greatest tool federal, state, and local governments can provide to people that can improve their economic outcomes is a quality education that can help them succeed in a collegiate environment, trade program, military service, or entry into the job market. Republicans focus greatly on pulling back on the radicalization of our education system. But I think they need to change the narrative on their efforts. During the Bush era, the idea of no child left behind was a catchy idea because it created the mindset that the federal government would take some level of responsibility to ensure that every child had the opportunity to succeed. In the modern era, we need some program where the federal government ensures that every student can read, write, add, subtract, and compete intellectually on the same level as our global counterparts. And that school quality is not only innovative and effective, but consistent, affordable, and equitable. America has some of the best-performing education systems in the world, but also some of the most neglected ones as well. And many of the best-performing ones reside in red states, which is something that needs to be pointed out more. Our youth should not graduate hating America, obsess over the perception that the world hates them, or that something is owed to them simply because they exist. Rather our graduates should understand that our nation is perfectly imperfect, but provides opportunity to those who work hard, innovate, and learn every day. Graduate students with a mentality of success being earned not entitled. The reality in life is that we all have to compete for success. We have to be creative, personable, assertive not aggressive, and forward-thinking. Our education system should instill these qualities and the necessary skills to make it possible. Finally, I believe that Republicans must be able to discuss the controversies surrounding former President Donald Trump in a balanced manner, where conservatives who are typically value voters do not dismiss behaviors that go too far. At the same time, Republicans must call out the unprecedented effort made by progressives to use government power to create political outcomes not based on the will of the people, but the protection of their own political futures or the interests of their party. While I think former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie may be over the top with his bashing of Trump, I do think we cannot normalize many of Trump's behaviors. But I disagree with Christie where he kind of states that the legitimacy of the legal cases is immaterial. It is not. 
There are clear political bias impacting the process in a manner that is similar to how Russia shows their political opponents to Putin. Republicans should not want to operate in the gray area of politics but must also ensure that elected officials do not operate with the interests of the political parties but the will of the people, which appears to not be the case right now. Thank you, Jennifer. I think you provided a reasonable platform on the issues raised during the first primary debate. There will be a wider array of issues as we progress closer to the general election. Issues like gender, climate change, free speech, and taxes. Now, I turn to Javi. Please tell us where the Republican candidates are coming up short on the issues that are important to the average American. Before you begin, I want you to also give your thoughts on whether Republicans speak to Americans on the proper level or do they speak on the issues in a manner that the average person does not absorb or allows for the average person to accept the clickbait retorts when the Republicans are actually right. The Republican Party needs to field candidates who can have a valid argument on issues that are important for conservatives, moderates, and liberals. Traditionally, Republicans have been tasked with being the adult in the room. But sometimes the average American is swayed by the style over substance politicians who can deliver great speeches that say nothing at all. I think Republicans have the opportunity to increase their reach if they can have a broad appeal beyond just the fiscal and social conservatism. Democrats have pegged themselves as the far-left progressive party that is more than willing to embrace ideals that Americans traditionally reject like socialist economics or communist politics. Republicans need to have a broad platform that blends center-right conservatism with moderation, which can appeal to Republican and independent alike. During the debate Florida Governor Ron DeSantis gave the best answer on the question of climate change. He shifted away from the traditional progressive trap where the media and the progressive elite want you to answer the question of whether climate change is man-made. A trap because a yes will use to make the false equivalence that one must accept the radical green agenda. Rather he focused on the ideas to address will actually address the areas where people agree that something needs to be done. Like carbon capture rather than banning pizza ovens, heating homes, and driving. Focus on the facts that America has a record of steadily reducing carbon outputs and embracing greener production and sustainable. Progressives want Americans to believe that we are the worst offenders in terms of pollution but that is not the case and has not been the case for quite some time. American emissions have declined steadily while we have outsourced production to China and others affording them exemptions in climate accords that allow them to pollute while we must offset our economic and diplomatic enemies' emissions. Progressives want to paint a picture that American companies want to pollute our air or make our drinking water unsafe, but that again is political optics. Many companies are the source of sustainable solutions. Republicans needs to point out that the federal and state governments can help the green economy but, in a manner, consistent with our free market principles. The problem is that progressive politicians intervene in these markets with the intent to shift benefits towards their preferred producers, who may be donors for all we know. We need public policy that encourages rather than coerces in favor of special interests. For instance, the federal government can reasonably provide a tax credit towards the purchase of electric or hybrid vehicles. Where governments go too far is when they ban the sale of gas-powered vehicles. Most people may not be able to afford the hefty prices of electric vehicles, or their work and personal lifestyles are not well suited towards ownership for those vehicles. For people that want to adapt or purchase these vehicles, that is great, but to show no consideration for other people is not the inclusive and compassionate mantra progressives portray. Consumers should be able to buy what they prefer not what the government tells them to. In terms of electric vehicles, I think it is important that people understand that the electricity used to power these vehicles still is reliant on fossil fuels. Many progressives tend to be myopic in their views not comprehensive. 
the production of electric still generates carbon and we can reasonably assume the consolidation of demand is not good for power producers and our national power grid. Again, I do not think people should be against owning an electric vehicle, but people should be coerced. That is where the government goes too far. Democrats exploit demographics and will continue to do so as long as Republicans stumble on the issue. The reason why Democrats feel like they can embrace radical ideas without consequence is because they enjoy support of a biased media who will try to normalize their views in movies, songs, and television shows. So, when they try to make people believe that men can have babies, Republicans need to be consistent and show the listen-to-science crowd that it is not biologically possible without manipulation of some sort. At that point, it still shows that it is biologically possible because it is not naturally occurring. It is funny that in the not-so-distant past, Democrats were the party most aligned towards the idea of protecting women from violence. As they championed laws that protected women from domestic violence and ones that increased penalties on crimes that involve gender differences. Now, they have no issue with a man identifying as a woman and competing against women in sports. Again, there is a need for purposeful ignorance of science where we are to ignore the biological difference in the makeup of a man and woman to act like natural strength is the same. A woman can be just as strong as a man, but we know that average men have a different muscular structure by default than the average woman. For instance, the male lion by default is stronger based on muscle development and physical features than a female lion. Same with humans. Adults who decide they want to change have the freedom to make that choice. We are a free nation. But we must protect our youths from being influenced to make decisions that are not what they truly desire. Or what is in their best interest. I am not sure that a school teacher is the best person to influence these decisions. That is why the bills that Democrats dub as don't say gay are actually reasonable because it protects our youths from being exposed to ideas that they are not mature enough. When you actually look at the legislation, it does not outright ban it, but delays it to a time when the student is mature enough. And teachers should focus on developing the reading, writing, and career skills in our youth rather than trying to project their radical views onto an audience not able to critically think about these subjects. There are many progressive parents out there who prevent their children from using social media, playing certain video games, and watching certain types of shows or movies. Until they are mature enough to be exposed to the material. That is the same standard here. But identity politics is a powerful tool for Democrats because they have gotten away with claiming everything they disagree with as racist, sexist or all the otherists without a proper pushback. Many Republicans have cowered when this occurred. Republicans need to do better on standing their ground on the issues where identity politics are traditionally used to blur the facts, evidence, and data. The non-Trump Republicans must understand why Trump is so popular amongst his base if they ever wish to make inroads with this significant sect of the party. So many Republicans have wilted under the pressure from opposing politics based on fabrications and hysteria, seeking to appease the mob rather than counter the message. In recent memory, Trump has been the only Republican willing to stand up to radical attacks and push back against progressivism and against establishment politicians in his own party that go along to get along. Many Republicans avoided social issues, affording Democrats the ability to set the narrative on critical issues. Many Republicans could not wrap their heads around how to counter identity politics and the soft socialism ushered under the Obama era. In Trump, conservatives saw someone willing to provide a viable counter and take on the hysteria that continues to this day. Many voters who are in camp are not sure they see a candidate that will not wilt under pressure. Many conservatives and Republican voters are not ready to trust Republicans who want to pretend like they have that same ability. Especially ones with records that prove otherwise. 
In the current field, there are many career politicians that fall under the Republican in name only who have much to overcome to show they have the political willpower. Nikki Haley performed great during the debate, but she is a career Republican politician. Chris Christie was a good Republican governor but does not really have a message that resonates. Vivek is attempting to be Diet Trump. But his brand of populism is not what Republicans need in this moment. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis probably is the only candidate who really demonstrates the leadership ability and political character to provide the Trump results without the Trump chaos. But he needs to do more to connect with voters. I think he comes off clearly presidential, especially when handling trap questions from the media and addressing issues that are important to Republican voters. The math favors Trump in the nomination process at this point. But not so much in the general election. Hard to see any of the candidates closing the gap when Trump enjoys a great level of support that is fueled by the ongoing investigations that come off as a political persecution. The field has a major obstacle if they want to secure the nomination from a highly popular Trump. The timing and substance of the indictments or the lack thereof will make him more popular but provide Democrats talking points. But that may be offset if their own current frontrunner becomes more embroiled with the growing legal issues involving his son's business transactions. Americans do not want a rematch of the 2020 presidential election. And many have strong views against both Biden and Trump. Unfortunately, there are enough people that will make it happen. The time has come for companies to end direct-to-consumer marketing. As a person who used to work with a company that provided direct-to-consumer services, I believe it is no longer relevant in the age of technology and contributes towards social ills like overt waste when it comes in the form of print media. The idea of direct-to-consumer marketing in terms of print media was to give potential customers a brochure, pamphlet or even a coupon to introduce them to your company or brand. These are the junk mail flyers that you toss in the garbage each day. At one point it was a needed marketing channel. But more and more, I believe people are turning away from even looking at the material. If the promotion does not come to them on their phone, tablet, or computer, it is not something they want to engage with. Brands may have their reasons for continuing with this form of marketing. Some may make the argument that this is still a convenient medium for the elderly who are used to receiving envelopes of expiring coupons or flyers. But I believe many are becoming tech-savvy enough to make the shift. The real reason it still exists because it is generally fairly cheap and can be somewhat targeted with the available marketing data these marketers can pull. Ideally, marketers would be able to sell customers more digital and social media-focused marketing campaigns that are more effective and more impactful to both the business and their own budgets, but many small companies still believe the old ways are the best ways. Maybe in regard to making pizzas, but not marketing. I remember a project a team I was on executed for a phone company by a marketing company I worked for. There was great coordination of when coupons would arrive to the carefully selected pool of customers in each region of the country. Our teams and the customer teams worked to schedule the drops into each region and to ensure the company would be able to process the expected demand. So timing was critical. Unfortunately, no one could anticipate that the United States Postal Service would beat the provided delivery times our postal contact gave us. So customers in some regions received coupons not active yet for phones that were not in local inventory yet. Imagine the reaction by those consumers. Ironically, this was at the beginning of the smartphone era and to promote a new popular smartphone line. Nowadays, the digital delivery would ensure this would not occur. Thus saving on the need to send out more communications to impacted customers apologizing to avoid customers changing services. Good for our bottom line. But not really. Direct mailings was not highly profitable. Many of these pieces of marketing material end up in a landfill and are costly for additional runs with varying effectiveness over time. While I do think sustainable is beneficial, 
I am not one of these environmental extremists, but I do think we should consider whether materials that are just tossed without review should even be produced. New delivery methods can be executed in a manner of minutes compared to the days it takes to produce the national campaign materials. There are always impacts to supply chains of these direct mailers but many of them are already switching to newer marketing campaigns and not reliant on direct mail. I cannot remember the last time I used a coupon that was not a digital coupon or one handed to me directly from a business. I do not remember the last time I read a piece of junk mail. I am sure there are many people who fall in the same boat. For these companies that pay for this service, consider switching to email marketing campaigns or social media campaigns or a mix of both. These are more effectively tracked and executed faster. Without the waste. Just saying. I now invite the CRC team to rejoin the broadcast for one last conversation for this week's episode. Let us start with current events. There are reports that Joe Biden used pseudonames and fake emails during his time as vice president. And reportedly, he discussed business deals in Ukraine with his son. The White House media tries to excuse away the controversial practice and make it seem normal. But there is no normalcy for an elected official to be using fake names to engage in behaviors that are illegal. Is this a legitimate issue to be concerned over? I think it should raise eyebrows to some degree and gives credibility towards continuing to look at correspondence between Joe, Hunter, and foreign entities. This is an administration that constantly claims that they are the most ethical one in our history. But the more that comes out about them, the more it proves that is just one more lie told to us by career liars. The whole mantra of the anti-Trumpers and those using law enforcement for political purposes talk about not normalizing the behaviors they find appalling in Trump. Yet, the more we find out about Biden and his alleged role in Hunter's business dealings, the more it makes the charges look petty. Especially when you are trying to explain away the unexplainable. No ethical person uses fake names and emails to conduct business dealings outside of the name used to secure the position of power that is needed to make those dealings possible. This is not like a writer using a pen name or celebrity using a stage or a performing under name. The issue being raised in a sitting vice president using fake names and emails to profit off his position of power. I personally like the poorly constructed excuse that it could be due to the volume of emails. Then why would you just not have an email with a modified version of your actual name? Like adding a number or the word personal to separate work and personal correspondence. It is one thing when you email someone from your personal account instead of your work account. Still bad. But somewhat explainable. You know someone outside of work and you mix up accounts. But to email people using a fake name shows the intent to hide something that may be criminal, unethical, or damaging to your political future. So there is a reason to question why this occurred. And what was the end benefit and who received the end benefit? The overall public is probably still not wrapping their minds around this scandal because they are under the dogma that they are not supposed to accept these accusations as legitimate. Or any consideration for the possibility of corruption is a sentiment towards Trump. But voters need to separate their dislike for one person in their scandals to consider the other person in their growing scandals. Both can be equally wrong or varying levels of wrong. But it is important to have a realistic view of each person. The media is dragging their feet on this. The Biden administration made us believe that it was to have a czar to help the public better identify what was disinformation or misinformation. But they might have wanted to have a czar to help them with their own misinformation campaigns. For instance, the administration exploits the economic illiteracy of the average person when they discuss economic subjects. They inflate their job creation through considering jobs that were on pause not newly created as part of the new jobs they claim Beatonomics has created. In regard to inflation, they mislead the public by making it appear that prices are going down when they talk about inflation. 
as we head into the next presidential election cycle, we can expect more exaggerated claims by this administration. Especially on topics that people may react based on emotions not fact. Is this a problem or just politics in today's environment? I think it is a problem when a politician claims something that is patently false. Typically, political candidates exaggerate claims drawn from fact. For instance, the government does not create jobs other than ones open for federal, state, and local positions. Otherwise, the jobs are created by companies and organizations based on their need and customer demand. Every elected official wants to claim job creation. But when you include tens of millions of jobs that were not created just restarted, that is misleading and it is misinformation. Another misleading claim is that our economy is strong. The goalpost has been moved and the crossbar lowered so much for this administration lately. What constitutes good economic performance is that we avoid or delay catastrophic events. In the past, we hoped to see tangible growth, increases in economic activity, and expanded investment in economic endeavors. Besides the jobs creation storytelling, the average person was probably not aware that companies are shrinking their offers. Unless they read the report in the Wall Street Journal. The average person is not aware that more people are using a greater percentage of their credit than in the past. And prices have not come down for staple goods. Not good indicators for one claiming that their economic vision is working. Also, we are starting to see homelessness across America rise to historic levels. Once a problem exclusive to cities like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. But now towns are having homeless roam their main streets. Record homelessness is not a sign of an effective economic policy agenda. People are starting to see more layoffs and economic strife hit home. While we have avoided a recession to this point, there is not much to be hopeful. People looking for new opportunities are no longer going to find income mobility. So, we will see less economic activity and movement. Another bad sign. Lending is also down from the prior year. An expected consequence of higher interest rates. The cost of borrowing is high, and banks are not as quick to fund anything and everything as they were during the free money era. A lot of challenges. You may want to paint a positive narrative that more electric vehicles are being purchased, the growth of inflation is slowing, and the recession is not yet here. But that is storytelling. Cherry-picking convenient coincidences is not what real leaders with integrity do. That is what self-serving politicians do all too often. We are supposed to focus on the positives in life and ignore the negatives to our own demise. Maybe that is why we need a disinformation czar. Maybe we are not focusing on the right positives in life. We should not be focusing on the devaluation of our retirement funds. Or the increased usage of our credit cards. Or the higher price of gas with the federal government running out of gimmicks to suppress the price at the pump. Maybe people need someone in the government to tell them what to believe about the government. Hmm. And they call Republicans the fascists. At the very least, it is an adaption of the Soviet style of governance in an American system. We will tell you if we are telling the truth. If they do not trust corporations to self-regulate, then why would we believe that they could self-regulate either? Are we supposed to believe the myth that people working in government are more ethical than those working in business? At least business people give you a good or service without coercion. We do not need misinformation, disinformation, or lack of information czar. Is Bidenomics working? Do we want to see the homeless every time we open our eyes? No. Do we want to see lower offers when we try to make a better life for ourselves and those we love? No. Do we want to pay higher prices and be told inflation is fixed? No. 
Do we want to see a Democratic president make home ownership once again a pipe dream? 30 years after a more competent Democratic president made home ownership more accessible to a fault. Bidenomics is not working. It simply is not working. We are going to keep this segment short this week. Thank you both for great work. Finally, I know all of the football fans in the crowd are excited about the upcoming football season that will commence a few days after this podcast episode goes live. I am not a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, but I do respect the profound impact the Cowboys have on the business side of football. The Dallas Cowboys are the most valued sports franchise in the world and the most profitable in America. Despite lacking the level of success that highlighted their past. The only comparable team in American sports with the same level of hype is the New York Yankees, who are the most successful team in American sports. Like the Cowboys, the Yankees used to have an outspoken and hands-on owner under the late George Steinbrenner. But the Yankees have the track record of championship wins and team construction that usually give hope that they will at least be in the mix, until this year came along. Although I am not a Cowboys fan and enjoy watching the various ways, they flame out year in and year out, I respect their brand management, global reach, and the business side of the organization. In other sports, there is a great importance placed on being in a large media market. The Yankees and Knicks, two highly valuable and profitable teams in their own right, are in the largest media market in the United States. The Lakers and Clippers are in Los Angeles, the second biggest media market in America. The Golden State Warriors are in the most populated state and the tech capital of the world. But Jerry Jones has shown that everything can be bigger in Texas. Whether the Cowboys are in the mix or not they are the centerpiece of the conversation of the media pundits. Even in a Super Bowl that they are not involved in, there are still quotes and commentary from their legendary owner. A staple of branding is keeping your brand in the general awareness of the consumer. Either being the main topic or secondary topic. If they are talking and thinking about you, then they will buy your merchandise, tickets, and other goods and services. I always believe that the aura of the Cowboys helps the businesses of their rivals. Whether it is my Philadelphia Eagles, the New York Giants, the Washington Commanders, or the San Francisco 49ers, there is a boost for beating the Cowboys or severely impacting their championship aspiration. San Francisco has the same amount of titles, a more storied history, and the race for number 6 is probably a good driver for fan engagement for both fan bases. The 49ers had two chances to get to 6 and served as their obstacle the last two years in manners that served as highlight reels for the anti-Cowboys crowd. Like it or not, the Cowboys make you talk about them. They do things outside of ordinary processes and they talk more than anyone from people who usually are not staff that we are accustomed to hearing from. They are somewhat of the social media sports team. Jerry Jones speaks more than any owner in sports and gives more information than any of the coaches do. There is some respect for an owner that does not hide, but takes the good, the bad, and makes the ugly engaging. Many sports owners are not as visible. They may speak a couple times a year or at charity drives. Typically, Someone else serves as the focal point or figurehead. When things do not go well that figurehead is replaced. I think to some degree the Cowboys' appeal is whether Jerry will win his fourth more than if the Cowboys win their sixth. But Jerry is the Cowboys. They are one and the same. And that is good marketing. Helps their business bottom line and the ratings of the league. Now, we keep on hearing how good the Cowboys will be this year. They will have the top defense in the National Football League. They will make the NFC Championship game at least. The roster looks good but so have past ones. I still think the team will not be playing football in February. Not a prediction. More of a spoiler alert. A big thank you to all of you in the audience. Your viewership is appreciated and valued. Please follow the Christopher Peter Review on social media and continue to visit www.crcreview.com for new episodes. Thank you once again.
Until next time.